Hey, what's up you guys? This is Oceania and today I want to talk about mental health. In particular, I want to talk about borderline personality disorder. So being that this is my very first podcast, I just want to dabble in to the subjects that I might talk about in the future as well as my purpose for this podcast. So I am not a very organized person. I have tried to be for the past 23 years and it just has not worked out for me. Um, I am also somebody who's very authentic. So um, putting on a mask has just never been my specialty. It's never been something I've been good at. So I wanted to make this podcast something so simple and so pure and so authentic um, to the point where I don't even want to plan, you know, what I'm talking about. I don't I don't want it to seem like a sitcom or, or something that you your weekly uh, your favorite TV show or something, you know, I want it to seem like something that is real and genuine um like when you're having when you're feeling something and you don't really know who to talk to about these feelings you don't really know how to express what you're feeling you you barely know how to identify what you're feeling this is the podcast you come to to help you work through those emotions to help you feel alive to help you cope with the human experience um And that's honestly just what I want for this podcast. It's a form of self-expression for me. It's a form of therapy. And I hope it can rub off onto others um, in a similar similar way. So um, I decided to start my first podcast talking about mental health because... It takes up a huge chunk of my time and my energy. Um, My mental health has played a huge role in who I am today. And I feel that being that we're moving in a direction where these conversations are becoming more normal, it would be... uh, really nice to start out with something that's so near and dear to me. So, uh, let's get into it. BPD. So, for those of you who don't know what BPD is, it stands for Borderline Personality Disorder. Um, It is a personality disorder, part of the Cluster B series, which you can find in the DSM known as the mental health bible for practitioners within the mental health field Um, it is a disorder that's characterized by extremes extreme highs uh, extreme lows um, aka emotional dysregulation uh, extreme and excessive patterns of thought um, paranoia, delusions, um, 
just excessiveness. If you if you want to really simplify BPD, which is not that easy to do, the best way to look at it is in the form of excessiveness. Think of ex- excess, extra. <laughs> um, and it's not to minimize the symptoms of the disorder because it's very hard to live with. It's very difficult to cope with. Um, BPD cannot be treated through any medication because it's not a, it's not a chemical imbalance. Although there are coexisting mental mental disorders that can be found with BPD. Um, dual diagnosis is not uncommon. A lot of people diagnosed with BPD um, also struggle with substance abuse, um, eating disorders, depression, anxiety, mood disorders, PTSD, narcissistic personality disorder, um, etc. So these are just some uh, other forms of, or other ways in which uh, comorbid um, disorders could manifest alongside BPD. So getting into my backstory, because I don't want to just sit here and read the DSM to you guys. Um, so I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder when I was a freshman in college. Um, I started showing symptoms of BPD when I was a teenager. I would say maybe even as early as an adolescent. Um, I was hypersexual as a kid. Um, By the time I was 12 years old, I was in my first love triangle, one in which an older man was involved, uh, a man twice my senior. and that became a pattern, and that was, I would say that was my first serious uh, commitment to anyone, and it was a love triangle. Um, I continued to be in love triangles until my first real monogamous relationship, which occurred at 15 years old. Um, I fell in love with this guy who was actually a year younger than me. Uh, he was really good for me. He was very empathetic and compassionate, but I did not understand how deep my attachment issues ran, and I um, self-sabotaged in that relationship. I pushed for um, polyamory uh, to open the relationship to open the relationship up to other parties. And when we started engaging in polyamorous um, activities, I realized that it was not for me. Um, I grew very insecure and I felt very threatened, even even abandoned to an extent. And I started playing mind games with my partner at the time to regain a sense of control over myself as well as the relationship. And ironically, it's 
you know, I self-destructed. I ended the relationship out of my own guilt and insecurity and anxiety. Um, After that, I realized that every relationship that I've ever been in, I have ended the relationship first. So I am 23 years old and have never been broken up with. And this is likely because whenever I can sense someone is losing interest or someone is developing an aversion for me or my behaviors, I grow very paranoid and distressful. Uh, I didn't say that right. (laughs) Distressful. I'm sorry, you guys. English is not my first language. Um, But yes, I grow distressful and I break up with the person um, out of fear of abandonment. So um, ever since that relationship, I have been breaking up with people left and right once I felt that an abandonment was um, about to make its way into my life. And um, it's been very difficult because I haven't had stable relationships in my life whatsoever, not even with friendships. And it becomes very lonely um, trying to get reacquainted to new people, especially in your uh, in your early 20s when everyone kind of has their fixed group of friends from college and they, they plan on being friends with these people for the rest of their lives. And it's almost like I'm just entering high school and trying to make new friends again because I burned so many bridges. Um, that is not easy. Uh, it's my comfort zone, perhaps, but it's definitely not easy whatsoever. So, unstable relationships are one of the more defining factors of BPD. Um, The promiscuity that I mentioned with the love triangles and even opening relationships up have been a theme in my life. Um, Just not being able to trust anyone enough to commit past maybe a two-year mark. I think my longest relationship was for two years if we're not counting on and off. Um, there has been a lot of on and off. Um, so it's been interesting, uh, being diagnosed and having a solid understanding of what I'm dealing with here. Um, so like I mentioned, I was diagnosed freshman year of college because I started getting suicidal. Uh, sophomore year of high school is when I first began self-harming. Um, I was, I entered my first relationship with a woman who was very kind and generous and gentle with me. Um, but her love was scary to me. It was very scary because because it was so consistent and because it was so genuine I had no excuse 
to justify all of these irrational thoughts and feelings that took place within me. And without any way to justify those thoughts and feelings, I was forced to face the cognitive dissonance that I have been dealing with since I was a child. And for those of you who have never really had to face cognitive dissonance, it is terrifying. (laughs) It's like a lucid dream, okay? Except you can't wake up from it. Um, Sitting with all these conflicting thoughts and behaviors that have been conditioned and having to try to confront them and try to find a solution is terrifying because then reality becomes so skewed And you really just really fail to realize what's real because what's real other than your perception and having to confront a reality different than the one you've created can be terrifying, Uh, especially when you're so used to what you already know. So. That relationship was destructive for me, being that it was so healthy that I had no justification for my terrible coping mechanisms, and I became self-destructive as a result. I became paranoid, um, thinking the reason it was so perfect is because something terrible must be happening that I could not even picture, like infidelity, like um, a big one for me has always been that the parents of my significant other don't like me and are trying to convince my partner to break up with me or to uh, betray me. Um, That is one of my biggest reoccurring paranoid um, ideations. And um, these thoughts can make me so paranoid that I can cut a person off with no little to no warning and isolate myself for months on end. So in that relationship, I began self-harming because the paranoid thoughts were just so intense. Um, I didn't really have a way to deal with the stress and the abandonment fears that they were pulling out of me. So my way of calming down that emotional intensity And before I even get into my coping mechanisms, just to try to describe what the intensity feels like to you guys, it is almost like being out in the middle of a winter storm with your thinnest sweater on. So it's like you know you have this sweater for protection, but it's almost not enough. You can still feel the snow touching your skin and melting on your skin and that one barrier of protection you have turns out it's just not enough this is what you know a panic attack um from delusions and paranoid thoughts can feel like it's like you know that you have the protection of a sound mind you know that you can talk yourself out of these thoughts and remind yourself that these are just delusions however it doesn't Help and it doesn't replace the anxiety that these thoughts actually make you feel. So, um, yeah, I mean, those 
that frostbite from the storm, and I'm speaking in a metaphorical sense right now, can be so uncomfortable that it can cause, and it has caused me to want to escape my body, want to disconnect from my body. Now, this can be done through disassociation, which is my go-to coping mechanism. I'm not even sure how it works, um, to be quite honest, but it is something I do regularly. It's kind of just like tuning everything out and going to your own private place in your head. Um, The reason disassociation works very well is because if there is something going on in your outer world, especially um, if something is occurring to your body, um, you can escape your senses by disconnecting your mind from your body. It's an amazing coping mechanism. Um, However, the issue is that when you're no longer in that dangerous place where you need to disassociate to protect yourself, it you you can't just turn it off. You can't just say, okay, I'm safe from the trauma. Now it's time for me to tune into the real world again. It doesn't work that way. Once you begin disassociating habitually, it becomes a habit. And even when you are safe, out of habit, you will tend to disconnect from your body because it's become very routine. So aside from disassociation, cutting became my go-to. And with cutting came the suicidal thoughts and the suicide attempts. Ironically, I had no clue about mental health when I was in these stages and places. Um, I discovered cutting because I was feeling really sad one day and I was, uh, my coping mechanism as a kid, like when I was in elementary school was to read really dark stuff, like read really dark poetry. I would read like really dark novels, anything to help me escape and, and to validate my darker emotions. Um, cause you know, I didn't fit in. I was a complete outcast in school and, um, I didn't really have friends to go to. Authority figures weren't trustworthy to me. They didn't really understand my struggle. So a lot of the time I had to find ways to just get through the rest of today to make it to bedtime, you know. Um, And one day when I was on the internet, Uh, trying to find my dark poetry that I looked forward to. Um, I bumped into images of girls with blades in their hands and they were slitting their wrists and they were attaching these pictures of their slit wrists to the dark poetry that I love so much. And being that I already idolized the poetry and the, the the authenticity that came with with the poetry, having that picture as a component really reframed my state of mind. I was instantly drawn to the blood, to the destruction. I thought it was beautiful. Um, and I wanted to try it. Um, to me, at first, it was just a something new, something to distract me from 
my reality because in reality I really just wanted to die but I was too afraid to die because I thought to myself I would think um, you know if I kill myself I'll get in trouble or if I try to kill myself and it doesn't work I will get in trouble (laughs) so even through those suicidal thoughts I was just thinking about getting in trouble so my logic was that if I could do something that's kind of like suicide but I don't really have to die from it I can I can do this I can get through this tough stage of my life so when I found out about the cutting through those poetry girls and guys I began looking for blades to use and I didn't have any blades like the ones I saw in the pictures So I did a lot of research and I found out that any sharp object can, you know, create a cut or a slit. So one day after an argument with my mother, I was in my room, just like intense emotions. Um, And I took a knife, a, a very sharp knife, like the ones you use to cut poultry with. Now that I look back at it, it wasn't the most sanitary decision. But an emotional adolescent doesn't make very wise decisions to begin with. And I just, you know, took my first slit. And I honestly thought I was going to (laughs) die. I thought that was it. I was like, okay, I did it. You know, the slit is here. I just have to wait to bleed out. And it did not bleed the way I thought it would. And it didn't look as glamorous as it did in those... uh, those cutting images it was almost like a small little scratch with a tiny drip of blood and I remember squeezing the scratch trying to make more blood come out and eventually more blood came out and I I was fascinated I thought it was beautiful and I was just like wow like this is this is really uh artistic I thought it was artistic I was one of those weird artsy kids you know Um, and so, you know, I gladly, you know, put that knife in the sink and I just kept staring at that cut and I was just so fixated with it. Um, and that was the beginning, you know, that was the beginning of my experimentation with life and death and my fixation with death. Um, you know, it just got more morbid after that incident. Eventually I did end up finding those blades that cut a lot easier and you know I did start cutting deeper and more regularly. Um, For about two years of my life I had to wear long sleeves in the summer and wraps around my wrists. Um, And when I was dating this girl when this you know when the cutting transpired and when the 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 suicidal feelings began taking place, it became a source of supply for me. And when I say supply, it might throw some people off because supply is a term that's often used with narcissism. Um, However, I also find that it's fitting to use this term with borderline personality disorder because in essence, people with BPD are looking for supply, though it might not be attention or, or um, admiration like people with narcissism or high levels of narcissism would seek. 
we are looking for validation and acceptance and we feel that we cannot get these things naturally so we have to bait people into giving these things to us and for borderlines self-harm is one of the quickest ways to get the supply the validation the acceptance so um I realized that self-harm was a form of validation when I saw the way my girlfriend reacted to my cuts. Ironically, I did not, you know, show them to her and, you know, because I wasn't even sure how to introduce the topic to her. It was, um, like I mentioned, she was just a very good partner, very attentive, very loving, um, and when we were hanging out one day, she was just holding my hand and like just observing my skin and my wrists and my hands and just like, like you know, paying me compliments. And she flipped my, uh, my arm over to just rub my wrist very gently. She was very romantic. And um, she saw the cuts. And she asked questions, you know, she, you know, was concerned, and I was asking her why, why she was so concerned about my cuts, and she revealed to me that she was dating a girl before me who was depressed and suicidal, and would also cut herself, so that was hard for me because at that age I was very insecure um I really needed to feel unique because I didn't fit in because I was being mistreated at home and I was being mistreated by my peers um my identity was very based on my differentness and how unique I was so hearing that she had somebody before me that she was very much in love with who had similar struggles was heartbreaking. Um, it was very scary and my abandonment fears kicked in. Um, and to make matters worse, I found out that she was still communicating with this person. So what started to you know, I started finding the validation for my abandonment fears in this relationship. So uh, this is the first time I really started exploring self-harm and trying to study my emotions, um, learning to observe my emotions from the outside looking in. However, by the time I got to college, I was involved with my with another female um, who I met in my psychology program we both were studying psych and she happened to be a paranoid schizophrenic and uh, our relationship happened very quickly uh, we met in a math class, um, and I bumped into her a year later uh, while I was on a walk, and she missed her bus, 
she had no way to get home. She lived two hours away. So I offered her a place to stay, like in my room. And, you know, this happened like two, three nights in a row that she missed her bus. So she stayed over for two, three nights in a row. And we got to know a lot about each other in that short time frame, which is where I learned about her schizophrenia. Um, uh, it was a very tough relationship because she was extremely emotionally unavailable for obvious reasons. And that emotional unavailability really triggered my abandonment fears like no other. Um, so I would argue with her to no end. Uh, this is when I really got to explore my rage because in all of my previous relationships before this one, before this one I did not deal with much rage because I had very submissive and easygoing partners. But this was the first person that was more assertive than me. Um, this was the first person that had courage and was feisty and I wasn't just getting my way anymore. I was being ignored, you know, and I was being stood up to. And it induced a lot of rage in me. Um, and this was the first time I had to acknowledge that I had issues with rage because when I was dealing with these other lovers of mine, they were just so submissive that there was no reason for me to be angry with them because I was almost always getting my way. Um, and I didn't even realize it until I felt or I dealt with my first form of opposition or my first um, defiant lover. So, um, dealing with the rage was hard because I would lash out and I would become extremely verbally abusive. And I know these are things that people don't like to talk about, especially people with BPD, because there's so much stigma, because there are so many people who have been hurt by people with BPD. Um, being open and honest about all of the symptoms is just not something that's all too common. So um, rage is a big symptom that a lot of people aren't comfortable talking about. However, I find that it's one of the most important symptoms to be honest about because this is the most dangerous symptom. It is the one that leads to harm, whether it's self-harm or harming others. Um, because if we remember, self-harm is just internalized rage. And so during this argument with my lover at the time, I felt so much guilt because I was lashing out and I wasn't, she wasn't in a rush to comfort me. She wasn't in a rush to validate me like my past lovers had been. And so I had to sit with my 
self-hatred and my frustration with myself for the first time. And I asked her, I was like, what do you think is wrong with me? Why am I doing these things? Like, I don't understand. And she was honest about her opinion. And she told me that she felt like I might have borderline personality disorder. So I obsessively Googled BPD like any borderline would. You know, obsession is just something that comes with the behaviors, with the disorder. Um, And I obsessed over the diagnosis that my partner gave me. I wasn't even a professional. It was a freshman in a psych program. (laughs) But it was so fitting, and that was scary to me, how fitting it was. Um, So, you know, it's always advised against uh, self-diagnosis or um, even having others diagnose you who aren't professionals. However... In the end, my partner at the time happened to be right. Uh, After an extreme suicide attempt, I was hospitalized and officially diagnosed with BPD. So, there's a lot of pain around the way I came to the conclusion about what was going on with me. Pain mainly around the fact that I was comfortably living in denial and living in ignorance almost up until college. Um, And the first time I had to take an honest look at myself and face what was going on, I wasn't even given a gentle introduction to that side of myself. It was almost like a punch in the face. And life got really hard after being diagnosed. Um, You know, it wasn't, suddenly it wasn't cute anymore to be jealous and to be uh, insecure and to cut and to have all these unhealthy coping mechanisms because I wasn't a teenager anymore. I was dating people who were far older than me. Um, I was dating people with less patience, with less time. Um, And they were not looking for a project or a child to date. So my self-destructive coping mechanisms, I became very secretive about them because I realized that being open about them weren't working for me anymore. They weren't getting me the supply, meaning the validation and the acceptance. Instead, they were getting me badly rejected um, and seen as a basket case, a charity case by potential lovers. And for BPD, oftentimes people with borderline personality disorder find themselves, find ourselves through our significant others. So when we're single, it can be a very traumatizing and disheartening experience. And we will do almost everything in our power to find someone to be with, even if we're not crazy about them, because we just need somebody to 
validate us as a person. So, um, it was, it was difficult not being accepted for that crazy, quote unquote, crazy behavior anymore. And I had to learn how to become much more sneaky about my self-hatred and my struggles with my mental illness. Um, when I dated, I started upping my sexuality and I realized this was all done very subconsciously, but now I'm at a place where I could logically pick apart my own motivations and understand why I did certain things and how it worked, what needs they were meeting. And so for me, upping my sexuality was a way of distracting people from the mess that I was really experiencing inside. Um, and you know, there's, there are rumors that people with BPD are hypersexual and very good at sex. And I would have to say that's probably very true, mainly because when you don't really have a solid identity or a core identity, and you you know that certain things work for you to get your needs met, you practice and you become really good at those things because they've kind of become your lifeline. So whereas some of my non-personality disordered friends, you know, there are times where I would speak to them and they would tell me, oh, they went weeks without having sex with their partners. And that would make me feel really insecure because in my mind, I would be telling myself, you know, I can't do that. Because if I went weeks without having sex with my partner, they would realize that I'm not really a whole and healthy individual and they'd probably lose their attraction for me. Um, so I realized that healthy people can form relationships and connections without having to be sexual or having to please someone to get their needs met first. Um, the act of being oneself is one of the greatest and most undervalued gifts that we have as human beings. And as someone with BPD, uh, it's very difficult to feel comfortable just being and not having to plan or not having to create a plan to get what I want because I don't trust that I will get my needs met if I don't put in great amounts of effort. Um, so yes, the hypersexuality became my go-to tactic when it came to dating. Um, and it worked for a long time. To be honest, it still works. I've been able to maintain relationships with people for years based off nothing but craziness and wild sex. Um, but as I, what comes with these relationships is, honestly not worth it. The highs and the lows, the passion. People with BPD are very attracted to passion, but what I feel that people with BPD don't fully understand, or at least the ones who are not yet in recovery, is that passion comes with highs and lows. It's not just a constant high. And I made that mistake of thinking it was always going to be a constant high if I just did this a little bit better, did that a little bit better. 
I was under the impression that if I could get more sexy, if I can get more fun, if I can be less controlling, if I can have less boundaries, I would have somebody who would make me feel good 24-7. And what I realized is that what I was doing was manipulating the state of mind of my partner. Um, I was messing with their resting emotional state. Um, I wanted to be with them all the time because the more time I spent with them, the less time they'd have to think and realize how crazy this relationship is. I wanted them to be with me and not to hang out with their friends or their family too much because I was afraid that their friends and family hated me and thought I was terrible and would influence them into thinking I wasn't the right choice. Um, I would have crazy arguments because my abandonment fears would creep up or I would feel rejected or I would feel just so bad about myself and then I would lash out or rage and then when they would get fed up with me or feel disrespected and try to leave and we would have the craziest and wildest sex and then they're just on this high, they're just on this high from constantly being up and down, from constantly being on this roller coaster, from never having time to rest, that they can't think clearly and it becomes a drug for them, it becomes a drug for the partner especially if they're not personality disordered, because then it's kind of like they get used to the adrenaline rush, and adrenaline is a drug. But what people with BPD are really doing is trying to regulate these unpredictable, impulsive, and chaotic emotions that we face on an everyday basis. So unfortunately, when not being treated or not seeking treatment for these episodes, we end up projecting this roller coaster onto our relationships. And the average person will find this addictive because of the adrenaline rush. So now that we're in the age of social media especially internet dating and dating apps it's becoming easier for people with BPD to find supply and again I know some people are going to be pissed that I'm using this term with BPD because it's usually used with narcissism but There is no denying that people with BPD are also looking for supply. Even if it's a different kind of supply, the term still has meaning here. Dating apps are a playground for people with personality disorders because of the ease in which one can obtain supply. The instant gratification is addictive and it's something that people with personality disorders look for. Um, so it's easier to find short-term supply thanks to dating. However, it exacerbates these abandonment fears being that these relationships tend to be short-lived because of how easy it is to gain new supply or new relationships for those who aren't personality disordered. Um, 
it's easy to be replaced is what I'm saying. Uh, there are just too many options. Now it's too easy to find other options. Uh, and this can exacerbate abandonment fears. So it, it, there is no cheat sheet to dealing with borderline personality disorder. I have been looking for a cheat sheet since I realized I had an issue. Unfortunately, it's something that is going to be a lifelong struggle. And I used to be scared to even say that out loud. I honestly think that's the first time I admitted that out loud to myself. But I am someone who's been in treatment for a long time. I've been doing lots of group therapy, lots of DBT, which stands for Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, uh, lots of CBT, which is usually one-on-one talk therapy, um, cognitive behavioral therapy. And one thing I've been learning how to do extremely well is to express my feelings and to be authentic about what I'm feeling. Um, So, even though having BPD might seem like a life sentence, I have found BPD to also come with a lot of unique gifts. I am a very sensitive person. I feel things deeply and I have very good intuition when I learn to decipher delusion from a gut feeling. Um, I feel passionately and though that might come with some intense lows at times, it also comes with extreme highs. And I don't think there is anything better than those highs when they are present. Uh, My emotions, though they can be draining, are extremely inspiring to me. I often feel inspired. Um, I often feel Like every day is a brand new day for me. Um, And just being able to talk about what it's like living with BPD is such a gift. Because I remember when I couldn't even articulate what I was going through and I would just hate myself and hurt myself because I didn't have anyone to talk to and I didn't even understand what I was feeling half the time. So I've met a lot of lovely people who struggle with this disorder in my journey. And I realized that the best thing that people who struggle with BPD can do is to talk about it. 
I know that some people might be turned off because there is a stigma surrounding BPD. Um, However, there are also stigmas surrounding disorders like schizophrenia um, or, or your skin tone or your weight. You know, there are so many things that society tries to judge people for and tries to ostracize people for. And being afraid to speak up because you fear being judged is the quickest way to put yourself in a very fast coma. Uh, Or you, you might as well be putting yourself in a coffin and digging your own grave the moment you decide to stop speaking and stop speaking your truth at that. So I think this is where I'm going to end my little rant on borderline personality disorder because I feel very empty right now. And I say that in a good way. I feel like I expressed everything I had within me and, um, I think that in my next episode, I'm going to touch on the throat chakra a little bit because conversations surrounding the throat chakra has been popping up in my life and uh, it just fits with the, the idea of speaking one's truth and not being afraid. So yeah, I think that's what I'll dabble into next time. Um, I just want to thank you guys for listening. I don't have any super cool um, goodbye or anything yet. If I come up with a cool slogan or something, I'll definitely throw it in there. But um, I hope this served some of you guys. I hope you were able to connect and feel less alienated and less alone. Um... And hopefully we can just build a really close-knit connection with one another and just, you know, keep getting those feelings out. Um, Keep expressing ourselves and finding our voices because at the end of the day, that is our freedom. Thanks for listening, you guys. Stay tuned for more.